You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Welcome to church, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to all of our friends watching online. We love you. We're glad that you could tune in from wherever it is in the world that you're watching from. If you want to grab your Bible and follow along, I think that God has something powerful to speak into your heart and the life of our church as we turn our attention to his word. So I want to bring you over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. As we're turning there, I want to say thank you for your generosity. You are an amazing and a giving church, and I love that I don't have to sit up here every week and uh, give you some sob story asking for money. I'm so grateful, grateful, grateful for your generosity. Thank you, thank you each of you for making a difference, not just here in Longview, but all around the world. We were able to kind of pivot from our normal vision and able to help uh, some people this week. In case you didn't know, our, our Longview High School principal died suddenly of a massive heart attack. And uh, they've, of course, that's a, a horrible and tragic circumstances. They've provided counseling for, uh, for students if they should need it. Uh, but what they didn't have was counseling for, for teachers and for staff. And so we were able, through your generosity, to provide counseling for those that, that uh, help wasn't made available for them. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of those that are walking through a difficult circumstance, um, that they really appreciate the fact that you're a giving and generous church that helps people when it matters the most. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a generous church. You're awesome, and I appreciate that. So let's get on into the word, if you, will, if you wouldn't mind. Second Timothy chapter two. We're in a series called The Bottom Line. Somebody say The Bottom Line. I am a fan of The Bottom Line. I do not like conversations that last any longer than they need to. Just give me The Bottom Line. Tell me how bad is it? Tell me what do we need to do to fix it? Tell me, what, how much does it cost? You ever been in negotiations and you're just like, dude, give me your bottom dollar. Tell me, what is it that you're willing to take for this? Tell me, what, what's the best price that you can give me? I like bottom line conversations. And 2 Timothy, man, this is written at the end of Paul's life and he's speaking to, uh, to a young pastor that, that doesn't need a lot of frills and doesn't need fruity conversation, doesn't need a lot of uh, presuppositions and, and grand statements. He just needs the bottom line. Just give me the good stuff. And this entire chapter of, uh, that we're going to read today is just fantastically uh, just bare bones, and I like that. And so uh, as Paul is sitting in prison, he writes to encourage young Timothy, and he gives him some generational things that I think are really important. And uh, oftentimes when you hear something uh, from, from your brother or sister, it rings differently than when you hear it from a father or a mother. It comes with some authority. And so Paul is speaking generationally to this young pastor, and I love how he's able to transition between one generation to the next, because all of us know that there are some generational differences. Come on, somebody. There's some things that your parents may get that I don't get. There's some things that your children understand that you're like, I don't get that at all. There's also some things that may be exactly the same, just have different names. Things that you've seen that you thought you invented, like you didn't invent that, like we invented that a long time ago. One time my children came home and they had that little, uh, that fortune teller game where it's uh, paper folded up and you do this. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And so they said, dad, look what my class invented. And I'm like, please, please. We invented that. So what other games did you guys invent? Well, we invented truth or di- never mind. We didn't invent nothing. There are some things that might be exactly the same, just difference of opinion or a different name. Like uh, this generation has George Floyd, but we had the original Rodney King. Remember the LA riots? That was a big deal. Like 
George Floyd was not something new for us that are Gen Xers. We got it. And, uh, you know, watching uh, Bitcoin explode, it's like, well, we had the space shuttle explode. And uh, we watched that on live TV in class. Some of you remember that sitting in school, like, wow, there's a teacher going to the moon. And it blew up. And then you have to explain, why am I laughing at this? I don't know why I'm laughing. But just the shock and awe on my friend's face, like, is that supposed to happen? Like, and then you have to explain to the children what just happened. Like, we, perhaps we should have thought about this before we throw this in front of our children, but it, it was a shocking moment that kind of defined our childhood. You know, for this generation, maybe, uh, oh, look, I got to ride in a Tesla. Well, we got to ride on a flatbed truck and hang on for dear life. That's, <laughs> that's all we got. And it was legal. I grew up in a day before seatbelts, and you didn't need those. I remember standing up in the back seat as we're driving down the freeway, and we're fine. We're fine. There's some things that might be different generationally, but we're okay. And Paul is speaking to Timothy and saying, look, I, I may not understand the, the, the same culture that, that you live in, but I've been there, and sin is sin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. God's word is true. God's word is eternal. And what I'm telling you crosses generational boundaries. It may look different in your culture than it was in mine, but it's still true, and God's word still speaks to it. And he gives them the bottom line. I love that about this. So I want to pick up and read just, uh, we've got a whole uh, just a group of scriptures we're going to put together here from Second Timothy. We'll read as much as we can, and then we'll listen real fast. But there's so much good stuff. I didn't want to cut anything out because it's so good. Pick it up in verse one, if you would. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one. Paul writes, "You then, my son, be strong." Somebody say, "Be strong." Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And trust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's not a lot of people with that as their life verse. There's, there's not a lot of tattoos with that one. Join with me in suffering. Nope. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I love the military language here. He's saying, you got a job to do. You're in, you're in the middle of warfare recognize who you are and what God has called you to do. He says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not, does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And I love this next verse. He says, but God's word is not chained. I may be chained up. God's word isn't chained. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling without, about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. We could underline that one twice if you wanted to. That's a great scripture for us to remember. Avoid godless 
chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. That's a gross word. Skip down to verse 22 just for time's sake. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. He keeps saying it again. Notice the redundancy here. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Don't just elbow your wife and like he's talking to you. This is for all of us. He says, you know, they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be, look at the next word and say it with me, kind. Notice it says kind to everyone, not just kind to our brothers and sisters, not just kind to our husbands and wives or children, kind to everyone, including unbelievers. God's servant, he said, must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I love this entire chapter. So many fantastic nuggets of wisdom that Paul puts into this letter to this young pastor. Just shows him, hey, the bottom line, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you don't need to be doing. This is good. This is bad. Remember this. Forget about that. Say it this way, don't say it that way. And I love that there's no frills, it's just bare bones wisdom. And it speaks to us in a way that we can understand and pull some nuggets out for ourselves today. See, Paul's not just writing it to Timothy, but the Lord is writing it to us as a church. There are things that we can pull from this that that help us to see what the bottom line is that God is saying to us today. So if we could boil it down uh, to two simple things, I wanna make sure that you see this. So if you're a note taker, you might wanna write this down. The most important things about 2 Timothy chapter two are number one, be strong, and number two, keep the main thing the main thing. He says you're gonna have to avoid quarrels, avoid talking about this stuff, avoid that stuff, don't get distracted, keep the main thing the main thing. And then, this is crazy, 25 times in his letter he tells Timothy, be strong. 25 reminders to be strong. I don't know about you, but if someone has to tell me something 25 times, it either means that I've got Alzheimer's or or I'm not very good at this. I need to be reminded. And Paul constantly and consistently reminds this young pastor, be strong. Because I know you don't feel like you're very strong. It may not seem like you're strong, but you got to choose to find your strength and your relationship with the Lord. We live in some times that will absolutely test your strength that will push you to the limits of what you think you can accomplish. But Paul tells Timothy and speaks to us today and says, be strong and keep the main thing the main thing. I wanna give four quick points that I think are important, things that Paul is encouraging Timothy with that we can glean from and apply to our lives today. Four things that I think are critical in the life of this church and the life of every believer. So if you're a note taker, write this down if you wouldn't mind. Number one, The greatest enemy to your progress is distraction. The greatest enemy to your progress is distraction. Now, Paul reminds this young pastor of this over and over. Keep the main thing the main thing because we as believers have a constant gravitational pull to distraction. And by the way, the enemy doesn't distract us with things that are wrong. 
He doesn't distract us with things that are sin. He distracts us with things that are good, but not God. He distracts us with things that will keep our mind focused in other areas instead of keeping the main thing, the main thing. So the early church fought four things that are uh, really prevalent of that time, things that we still fight with some today. It may be uh, a different name, it may be a different person, it may be a, uh, a different label that you would put on it, but it's still the same thing. And the early church fight it, uh, would, would fight against these four things. Uh, fear, uh, 2020 much, the spirit of fear grips our nation, and we still fight against fear today. You're fighting against fear right now. The early church fought against fear legalism. That's where I can earn my way to God's good graces. The more I do, the better I become. Then God has to do these things for me. And this is what I've done. And this is my rights. And this is my righteousness. The early church fought fear and legalism. They fought genealogy, which is a little different for us. We don't fight it in the same way. But then number four, and perhaps the most important thing that they fought against the distraction of politics. Hear me. Those things haven't changed. And here is the enemy's scheme. Paul, calls it, Paul says they've been taken by the scheme of the enemy to do the will of the devil. And he says, you cannot let yourself go there. You have to keep the main thing, the main thing. There is a constant gravitational pull for us to get off mission and to get consumed with some things that might be good, but are not God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus approaches uh, his, his ministry, many times they say, we want you to become king and you're gonna take over, you're gonna conquer and you're gonna put the government back in its place. And here's that scripture, the government's gonna rest upon your shoulders. Lead a revolution, Jesus. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not about Rome. It's about the throne of your heart. I wanna remind you, church, this is not heaven. This is not heaven. Heaven on earth is not a thing right now. We live in times where things will never be ideal. You're gonna get consumed with fear. And trust me, if you don't have enough fears and anxieties, I will give you some of mine. I'm happy to share. But if we want to walk closer to the Lord, if we want spiritual progress, we have to recognize distraction is the greatest threat to our spiritual progress. Do I want a good marriage? Yes. Is that a good thing? Yes. Is it the most important thing in my life? No. Do I want fantastic children and to have a wonderful life? Yes. Do I want great health? Sure. Do I want to have an awesome church? Yes. Is it the most and most important thing? Is the most important thing in my life that I have four years of the elected official that I think is best? No. Those are good things. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's about the throne of our hearts. And the church has to recognize the distraction that keeps us from becoming who God has called us to be. That ain't you, Paul says to Timothy. You have to avoid those things. Recognize that everybody else is gonna get pulled in different directions. And every four years we see this cycle that happens uh, in the life of our country. All of us become divided over things that we think is the most important thing. And we've forgotten to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's about your heart between you and the Lord. Is Christ sitting on the throne of my heart? Is he pushing me to become more like him? Keep the main thing, 
the main thing. Paul calls it the trap of the devil to do his will. So I wanna say it this way. When we make the focus of the church anything outside of Jesus, we have walked into the scheme of the enemy. So it's easy for us to say, yes, absolutely, the church needs to do that until we recognize, wait, I'm the church. That's me. So how do we do that on a practical level? I wanna I want make sure that you see this. You're gonna have to protect your quiet time by planning to spend time with Jesus, by making sure that you make appointments to spend time with Jesus, by making sure that your day revolves around you spending time with the Lord. This should be in the background of everything that we do Monday through Saturday. How do I do this practically in my own life? That means I wake up in the morning and I start worshiping the Lord. I have worship music going behind as I'm going throughout the day. If you're working out, if you're going to the job, I'm, I'm praying in the back of my subconscious. I'm talking to the Lord all day long, 24-7. Why? Because that's the main part of my day. That's the filter by which everything else needs to pass through. The moment that I allow anything else from my schedule to take control of my day, I've drifted into distraction. I want to be led by the Spirit, and I want you to experience the same thing. The greatest enemy to your spiritual progress is distraction. So you protect your quiet time with Jesus by thinking ahead. Here's point number two. Write this down if you would. Paul tells Timothy to become a diligent student of the word. And if ever there was something to speak to the church about, uh, nothing could be more important and nothing could be farther uh, from where we need to be than our knowledge of the word. I have found that we've become biblically illiterate. Let me just remind you, believer, that at some point in your walk with Jesus, you're gonna actually have to read this thing. You actually have to read it. And as you read, the Lord is going to, is going to begin to line some things up in your life that will start looking a lot more like Jesus and a little less like you. We have to become diligent students of God's word. When Paul tells Timothy, he says, I want you to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. I love the original language. The Greek language here, uh, it gives us a word that means to cut straight. Now, back in my day, uh, we used to have wrapping paper for gifts that was uh, really decorative on one side and on the other side was just, was just plain paper. But they've added in a beautiful piece of progress. And that's those little checker, checkerboards on the back so you can make perfect cuts. And boy, you put your scissors on that line and just let them start gliding, just, ooh, that's good. You ever been at that place where you're wrapping a gift and you're just like, and it makes that noise, and you're like, my life feels right today. I feel like I've accomplished something pretty good. I bought my wife a, 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 gift, a gift wrap cutter for Christmas. It's something that we, I saw on TikTok. I thought she would love this, but you place it on the tube, you unroll the amount of wrapping paper that you want, and you slide it and just says, and she's like, this is the greatest gift of all time. And your boy got full credit. But Paul says, I wanna make sure that when you're reading God's word, you're able to just cut straight to the point. You need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth so that you have a deep understanding from the well of God's word where it speaks right into your life. And you realize at some point that I'm not just reading God's word, but his word is reading me. I wanna remind you this. Read until God speaks and then write it down. Read until he speaks and write it down. So the point is not to just read for volume. I'm not just trying to get through the entire book. That's not the point. I'll put it on the screen. The Bible reading goal isn't to receive information, but to glorify God in my thoughts, in my attitudes, in my actions. I wanna see that it's making a difference. It's producing something in my life. 
Otherwise, you read about God and never recognize he's doing something in me. You see the difference? So we're not just reading for volume. We're reading for God to begin to change us. And if you read long enough, he'll start speaking. So we protect our quiet time with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what it is that he wants us to hear. And how does my life need to change to look like this? And God's word will show you. He will help you. It keeps us from being distracted. It helps us to be strong. Become a diligent student of the word. Here's number three. Paul reminds Timothy, watch what you're chasing. Watch what you're chasing because you just might catch it. I've learned that what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. You might carry some of that home. (laughs) Watch what you're chasing because it'll get you. Come on, somebody that's walked. You've walked with the Lord not very long and you remember what it was like to chase things that just don't matter. Paul tells this young pastor, flee youthful lust. He said, you got to run from that stuff. That's the end of your ministry. That's where, that's where your calling and giftings and your purpose goes to die. Flee from that. And he says, what am I running towards? You're not just running in any general direction. He said, no, no, I want you to pursue something else. He said, pursue righteousness. Pursue peace. Pursue faithfulness and love. These are the things that you're going to want to track down and look for. You're going to want to hunt down. Look for these things. Because if you're looking for your temptation, you're going to find it. You don't have to look hard. You want to find an excuse to sin? They're there. They're right there. But how do we learn how to be strong against those things? We become students of God's word and we start taking a note of what is it that I'm actually trying to pursue here? What is the point of what I'm chasing with my day? And my friend, please hear me. We can chase a lot of things that may not even be sin, may be good things. But if we don't take note of what it is that we're actually pursuing, if we don't take, a, take, take note of what the goal may be, you might hit anything and call it success and miss the point. What am I chasing? Let me ask you, what are you chasing? How would I know? If becoming a diligent student of the word, if chasing after righteousness, how would I know that I'm really doing that? There's some practical things that will tell you kind of where you are. You know, your, your algorithm on social media will tell you what they think is important to you. After a while, the things that you look at and the things that you like, the things that you share, the things that you talk about, they'll start showing up in your algorithms. And it'll tell you, these are the things that I'm telling the computer, the mark of the beast, whatever that. These are the things I'm saying that's important. It'll tell you. And if things that are coming up are things that you know are pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace, these things are coming back and feeding your soul because there's other like-minded people that's making content that is kind of bearing witness with yours, you're on the right track. But if things that keep popping up in your social media feed is one temptation after the next, let me tell you, your algorithm doesn't lie. It only shows you back a reflection of you. It's time to change some things. Let it speak to you. Let it tell you the truth. We need that because otherwise we think we're good. Paul makes sure that he reminds Timothy, be strong. Get away from that stuff and pursue the things that you know are right. This keeps you on mission and helps you to be strong. He says, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 
So when I first uh, turned my life over to Christ, and man, it had, I was raised in church, but I got away from the Lord and uh, got lost in a lot of addictive behaviors that got really dark for a long time. But when my, when my life began to, to change dramatically, I had a powerful moment with the Lord where he just arrested my heart. And I just didn't want those things anymore. And I began to spend my days uh, on the job, listening to messages, listening to sermons, listening to different points of view, listening to the word. We had to actually put in CDs and tapes back in the day. There was no podcast. There's none of that. There's no, let's just scroll through TikTok and get some cool videos and things that are, that are biblical. We didn't have any of that. You had to actually put in a cassette tape, which was weird because sometimes those things would get all jam- jumbled up inside of the cassette player and you had to break out the old pencil or pen and roll them back up. Remember that? And then you get it like turned inside out and it'd play backwards. You start hearing satanic messages. Nobody remembers that? Like, oh, I'll kill your boss. Like, what? <laughs> but the cool thing is, the more that I listened to those things and began to feed my spirit, the more that I began to, to discipline my flesh, I recognized uh, that I was making progress, that the person that I wanted to be suddenly didn't seem so far away, that the things that I used to struggle with and my addictive behavior suddenly I'm not the same. I'm not pulled in the same direction. I'm starting to get victory over that youthful lust by pursuing things that I knew were the right thing. We say it around here, choices lead, feelings follow. I may not have felt very different at the time, but I began to make the choice to feed my spirit things from the presence of God. So on the job one day, we just got a, a, a massive contract that would have paid us a lot of money to our business. And I showed up at this, it was an apartment complex job. And this lady that was the managing the complex had just gotten there, just gotten the job and she was excited to have us. So I walked in and had a conversation with her and she says, okay, the, the stuff that you need, it's upstairs. Go ahead and go up there and I'll be right up after you and get you the things that you need. I'm like, sweet, this is gonna be awesome. Ready to take on this job and make some good money for, for our company and do a good job for the client. And as I'm walking up these stairs, she starts fondling my backside. And she makes a pass at me. And it's just her and I alone in this upstairs office. Now, I may not look like much today. (laughs) But there was a time where your boy, your boy looked real good. Don't laugh at me. There was a day, there was a day it, that season didn't last very long. But I was looking good. But in that moment, I remember that I just got instantly hot. And anxiety just hit a new level. Blood pressure hit a new level. And I thought, man, what am I going to do? I'm about to get fired or lose this job if I say anything. This is an important client. I, I need this job. And there was a time in my life where this would have been an invitation for something fun. But today, I'm petrified because I don't want to risk the progress that I've made. I've come too far to go back down that road. And that is not, it's not funny to me. It's not interesting. It's not sexy. It's not harmless flirtation. Like, this is sin to me. I cannot go there. I have to flee that. And I turn around and walk out, and she's she's left with her mouth open, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, you need to get behind me, Jezebel. I I can't be doing all this. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm not the one. I, that, that ain't me. I know I may appear extremely sexy. And I know I am 200 pounds of man candy. 
So I walked out and I, I sat in my truck and I thought, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? It's gonna be her word against mine. It's, are people gonna believe me? Am I gonna, am I gonna be fired? I'm, and so I just called my boss and I said, hey, I wanna be upfront and honest with you. Uh, there's a situation that just happened and I'm just gonna tell you what happened. I did not provoke this in any way except for looking amazing. Um, but I don't know what to do. He says, go grab some lunch. I'm on it. I'll take care of it. And uh, just within a few moments after I came back from lunch, uh, the corporate owner was there and comes up to me, shakes my hand and said, I am extremely sorry for what happened. This lady no longer works here. Can you please continue to do your job? I want to appreciate your integrity and tell you thank you for just letting us know what was happening. I'm like, wow, I did the right thing and it paid off. God began to fight my battles when I didn't just play games with sin. And when Paul tells Timothy, you gotta flee youthful lust, pursue these things. Understand, when I start pursuing the things that are right, God begins to do what only God can. He begins to fight on my behalf and help me. Paul tells Timothy, you're gonna have, if you expect to win, you're gonna have to compete according to the rules. Here's the thing about, uh, about being a believer. You don't get to establish the rules. This ain't your game. It's his game. He sets the boundaries of what you can and cannot do. And there's a reason why. It's not because he's mean. He wants good things for you. I don't know if you've ever played a game with a kid that makes up the game and then makes up the rules as they go along. You ever done that? Like, Daddy, let's play a game. Like, before we play this game, let's establish some ground rules here. Like, give me bottom line. What is out? What is safe? What's the, what's the goal? What's the score? Because nothing's worse than, worse than playing a game with the kid that makes up rules. Like, no, no, this is how you win, and I won. Like, how does that even happen? You're making up rules as you go along. And it's crazy, but we, we treat a lot of Christianity that way. Well, Lord, I'm going to do this because I know that you're going to forgive me, so I don't, it's not really a, a bad thing. You, Lord, you know my heart. And my heart is, I love Jesus. I just don't want to do things that I don't want to do. So Christianity is not a game where we make up our own rules. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. He sets the boundaries. He tells us what's right. He says, flee youthful lusts. You're better than that. He says, pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Pursue faithfulness. Pursue peace. I want to finish up with this, uh, number four. Paul shares with Timothy, he says, following Jesus means sharing Jesus. And we've come so far from this as a church and as believers in our American version of Christianity that somehow loving Jesus and coming to church, that that's just enough. And we've forgotten that Jesus gives his disciples a mandate. We call it the, the Great Commission. To go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. They didn't feel qualified. Many of them were very young. They'd only seen Jesus do this for a couple of years at most. They didn't have everything worked out theologically, but they were being obedient. He says, go ye into all the world. When do we get it into our, our minds that it was just come ye to my church? Let me remind you, believer, you are the church. And the point of me being here today is not to grow a bigger church, but for me to equip you to do the call and the job that God has called for you as an individual to do. We want you to become who God has called you to be. Now, a lot of churches would say that. Very, church, very few churches would actually show you how. But we want to make sure that you know that our growth track, the, the, the thing that we do, 
to keep the main thing, the main thing is to help people do four things. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom from your yesterdays. We want you to discover your purpose. God has uniquely called you to a purpose. We want to help you figure out what that is. And then number four, your life should make a difference. Very simple. We do those four things, and that's it. There are a lot of things that other churches do that's great, but that ain't us. We keep the main thing, the main thing. Equip God's people to do what he has called them to do. Help them fall madly in love with Jesus. and Help them to get on mission and live a life that makes a difference. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm just coming to church and I'm just barely hanging on. I've got a, a lot of anxiety and worry. I got pressure. I got fears and I got doubts and my kids and my money. And my, I get it. I get it. If you're not careful, you'll spend your entire life worried about a lot of things and miss the point of your life. Remind yourself of this that as Paul is writing this to Timothy, they are living in a red hot political climate. It is not legal to be a Christian. And the emperor of Rome, Nero, has descended into madness and insanity. And he is crucifying Christians. He is using them as human lamps to light his streets. He's putting them into public games, watching them to be, be torn apart by lions for their amusement and entertainment. That's the climate that Paul writes this to young Timothy. And he says, be strong and don't live life in the shadows. He says, join with me in suffering. This is who God has called you to be. In spite of your fears and worries and anxieties, and the things that you feel have disqualified you from ministry, in spite of the fact that you're young, share the gospel of Jesus. I found this, that a great way to counter anxiety is to start helping others. What you're gonna find is that we've all got anxieties. We've all got issues. We've all got problems. But when we face them together, we share Jesus together. When we come together as believers, we, we get stronger. We get better. Paul says, entrust the things that I've taught you. Entrust them to some other faithful people and teach them how to do the same thing. That's important for us. You're supposed to be learning and you're supposed to be teaching somebody else. At some point, I'm going to ask you to host a group in your home. You want people to come to my house, Pastor? Yeah, I do. It's good for you. I want you to go to somebody else's house and get to know people in Longview. Like, what happens if they know my stuff? They're gonna think you're normal. We're all messed up. It's not a competition. We need each other. As a matter of fact, as we're talking about this, perhaps you're like, you know what? I, I'd like to at least know what it, what it takes to do that. I'm gonna put a QR code up on the screen. If you wanna grab your phone, open up uh, your camera app, this will take you directly to an information sheet that will show you what it means uh, to host a group, to lead a group. We're gonna want to get you on our dream team at some point. You need to be serving somebody else. This life is not all about you. You need to step outside of yourself and start helping someone else. You can't live in the shadows. You need this. And for some of us, we've been stuck in this secret walk with Jesus for too long. It's time for you to step out and to give something back, to become who God has called you to be. Can you receive that? Is that okay? Paul reminds him at the end of this letter, and I'll close with this. Paul reminds him, like, look, you're supposed to be not resentful. You're supposed to be not quarrelsome. And you're supposed to be kind. And as I look at that, when he says God's servant is not quarrelsome, God's servant is not resentful, God's servant is gonna be kind. 
I look at that and think, that's a, that's a good test for my life. Would I say that I'm not resentful? Not, not very well. Hold a lot of resentment. You do me wrong one time, and I'm like, I will never speak to you again. I might cut you. I don't know. I haven't been saved that long. I'll harbor some grudges. I have to deal with that. Don't look at me like that. You do the same thing. When it talks about you're not supposed to be quarrelsome, like, I got a big mouth, Jesus. I got a smart mouth. I've had this my whole life. I've never behaved. I love to argue. It fuels my fire. My parents told me, you were called to be a lawyer. I will argue the wrong side of anything just because I like it. And Paul tells Timothy, that ain't you. You were born again. How do I deal with people that oppose the gospel? He said, kindness. He says, oppose them gently. And it shows me I've got some work to do. And I think if we were to be honest, we could all say that a little bit. We have an election season coming up. And it's going to test the boundaries of your kindness. It's going to test the boundaries of your willingness to be gentle in your instruction. I want to remind you of this. I cannot have Jesus at the center of my life and not be kind. I was, uh, I was at a place called Furs Cafeteria one time at the end of a, at the end of a long Sunday. We, uh, we used to go there and uh, eat that fried chicken, the Lord's Bird. And First Cafeteria is, is an all-you-can-eat place that you, they would actually serve it to you, so it's like cafeteria style. And so uh, you had to wait in this long line to finally get to the very front and grab your tray and then push it down the line. They would load up your plate with whatever that you wanted. And I remember uh, this Sunday, it was, it was really packed after church, and all of, you know, all of West Texas at the time was, was gathered there. And um, it just seemed like you're never going to get to the front of the line. And I finally got to the front of the line, and as I did... In the front door walks a very famous pastor that many of you would know him as soon as you saw him. A famous televangelist, massive ministry. He just happened to be in town. He walks right to the front of the line, grabs a tray, sets it down in front of me and says, thank you. And I'm like, thank you? You didn't, you didn't ask. And then he turns around and says, hey, up here. And invites all of his family and staff, about 20 of them, hands them trays from across me and hands it to them. You guys go ahead. Thank you, I appreciate it. And I'm like, did you? Is this what pastors do? Seriously? I'm like, this must be a joke. Like, there's got to be a camera. There's no way that this is, is actually happening. And I thought, well, maybe he'll get to the end of the line and he'll, he'll pay for everybody in the line because that, I mean, at least do that. But he paid for his people and his friends and then turned around and grabbed his tray and walked to his place. I thought, man, this guy has enough money that he could have had a meal brought in catered from anywhere he wanted to for anybody he wanted to. But he chose that restaurant, came right to the front. I'm not waiting in no line. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm like, you better get to the tail of that line. I haven't been saved that long. I, I will cut you. Pray for healing over that. It just set something off in my spirit. I don't know. I don't know. But I, and at that time, I thought, I am really glad that, number one, I'm in ministry and the Lord's working on my heart because I would have said something. You know your boy. I'll say something. I'd have walked right up to that lady, the cashier, and said, yeah, we're all with him. <laughs> I remember leaving a bad taste in my mouth, and I thought, is that the kind of pastor that I'm going to be? Expect everyone to bow down to whatever I want, and this is just my world, and all of y'all are living in it. 
Is that the kind of church that we're making here? I'm reminded of the words that Paul speaks to young Timothy. Be strong. You keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? It ain't you. It's not you. It's him. I remember another moment at the end of one of the lowest points of my life. When my first wife had left and we were getting a divorce. When we had lost our home with the thousands of dollars in debt that addiction had run up, my wife was an addict. And I remember at the end of that marriage, having to move out of my house and I had to move into um, to my brother's house. Um, one, of, one of his kids gave up their room so that me and my two kids could, could live in that spare bedroom. And to, to be pastoring at the time and have to walk through that when it wasn't my fault, but it was my fate. And being embarrassed and ashamed and broke and depressed and done. Remember moving all of the stuff out of, out of our house and just being low. That's pretty low. And I remember as I um, just loaded up a box. I didn't have the strength to carry out any more boxes. I just I sat down against the wall and, and just cried. Put my head in my hands. I was just over. I'm ruined. I was done. I didn't want any of this. Not a, lot of, not a lot of joy in that. I'm like, Lord, where are you? I don't feel like the, the head and not the tail. I'm like, oh, you're pastor and things ought to be great. People ought to serve you and give you whatever you want. I don't feel like that at all. Remember there was a pastor, fantastic man, and I was serving underneath at the time that came and sat down next to me, put his arm around me, so I know it doesn't look like much, but you're, you're gonna be okay. The Lord will help you through this. He was kind to me. It reversed a curse in my own heart of what pastors were supposed to do. I remember him picking up boxes and helping me carry boxes. I thought my life was over. He was there for me when I needed him. And he wasn't the head pastor, just someone that was on staff, but it, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. I recognized that I'd surrounded myself with some pretty good people that were there to help me when I needed help the most. And I wonder, who do you have? Who are the people that you've set up around your life will help you when life falls apart? Who are the people that you're helping them when life falls apart? See, the marker of a believer should be kindness. I'm kind when it matters. And I'll leave you with this thought. Uh, my kindness will speak louder than any sermon ever will. And I hope that you understand and you feel the kindness that's in this place. Uh, we've tried to build a lot of our, the culture of our church around just being kind. We're all struggling. We're all walking through some stuff. There's no such thing as a perfect life with perfect conditions. But if we can just be kind to one another, encourage one another, help each other out, we can find that there's strength there that we didn't even know that we needed. As we finish up today, I want to invite you to go ahead and put away your phones and your notes. Put away your Bible for just a moment and I want you to have a moment where you connect with your father. Would you close your, eye, close your eyes and bow your head? And if I've done my job correctly, I think that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So right where you are, I want to invite you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to hear? Could it be that I've gotten off track and become distracted? Could it be that I've been pursuing things that just don't matter? Could it be that my attitude and 
my words have caused a lot of division. If so, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you help me? Lord, have I been unkind? The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, resentful, or unkind. Lord, I remind myself that when I choose your way, that you'll begin to fight battles on my behalf. So I just say yes. I'll do it your way. Come on, all over this place, would you just say yes as a sign of submission to the Lord? Lord, I'll do it your way. My way doesn't work. I want to do it your way. Father, would you bless and touch and help my friends, encourage and strengthen them. In Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, perhaps you're here today or perhaps you're watching online and you would say, Pastor, if I'm going to be honest, I'm so far from God right now. I'm so far from God. I need to come home. I need a relationship with Jesus. My friend, you're in the right place. And I'm thankful that you tuned in today to watch this. If that's you and you want a relationship with Jesus, it starts with a prayer. And I would be honored if you would let me show you how to pray that prayer. Right where you are, pray with me. I'll tell you what to say. Just pray this. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, you died, and rose from the grave so that I could have life and forgiveness for all of my sins. I invite you into my life to take over. I give myself to you right now. Forgive me, Lord. I'm all in. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name I pray. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, if that was you, if you actually prayed that prayer, I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. I'm not here to single you out, but would you do me a favor? Would you just look up at me all across this room and would you just lift your hands? That was me. I, I did. I prayed that prayer with you. That was me. I see you. Good. I see you, young man. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else here today? I prayed that prayer with you. Yes, sir. I see you. Good for you. Yes, sir. I see you. Good. Good for you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, there's a number that's going to be appearing on the screen that you're watching. There's also a number appearing on the screen behind me. If you prayed that prayer, you've come this far, I want to ask you to take one more step. I want to ask you to text me. Text the words, I prayed to 844-HRC-TEXT. If you text me those words, I'm gonna send you some things back that will help you understand what just happened inside of your heart and what you should do next. You've come this far. Let me help you. Keep going. It's the greatest honor of my life to help people meet Jesus, to help people get started on their walk with him. It's good for you. Let me help you. I'm proud of you. Well, Highridge family, go ahead and look up at me if you would, and would you go ahead and stand to your feet? I'm gonna invite our elders and their wives forward, and these guys are gonna remain standing at the front of this platform to make sure that they're available to pray for you about anything that you might need prayer for. We would love to pray for you. For everyone else, I wanna thank you for watching. I wanna ask you, if you liked what you heard today, and perhaps you were here listening live, uh, do us a favor, on your social media account, would you share that message? I feel like a lot of people need to hear this message. And you would do us a huge favor if you'd click the share button and share this with people that you know in your social media world, they need Jesus. You see them every day. You see your social media feed and you know your friends need Jesus. This is a great way to become who God has called you to be by refusing to live in the shadows, by starting to share your church sermons with people that need it. It's good for you. For everyone else, let me pray for you and bless you and send you out today. 
Father, would you bless my friends with an incredible week following after you all week long in Jesus' name. And all of us said together, amen. God bless you as you go. I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV, or you can check out our website at HighRidgeLV.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit HighRidgeLV.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.